Well, good morning. morning. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, We did have some visitors run out when they saw a table of stones. uh, And uh, so we tried to chase them back in. If this is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, We don't typically do stonings, and I don't think we're going to do one this morning either, hopefully. Um, Before we get started, I do have some information to convey to you. Uh, On the last Sunday of the month, September 30th, we're going to have one service, and you're in it. This is the service that we're going to have. Uh, And it's going to be followed by a potluck lunch. Anybody like potluck? Anybody like food? Anybody hungry right now? Okay. Does anyone, does anyone need more things to add to your calendar week? Anybody need more? Anybody not busy enough? Yeah, anybody? Well, we, we're talking amongst the leaders in the, in the church, and you know, we're trying to combat this issue that we have, this chronic issue of being so busy with schedules, but also the need and desire for us to connect relationally with one another. And blending, uh, trying to blend how uh, we interact, blend the, uh, the, the need to get together and, and to not uh, add to people's calendars. We're here on Sunday. I hope that most of you plan on being here September 30th. Uh, and being here on Sunday. And, and I, I do know that a majority of you will plan to go eat lunch after service, yes? Uh, well, we'd like to save you some gas money this morning and, uh, and, and have you stay and, and eat with us. We do want you to bring something maybe that serves eight to 10 people uh, with you. We're gonna have some, uh, some areas set up to collect that before the service starts where we have a group out there getting that ready. But the point of the potluck on that, that day is just to build community. That's it. Okay, we want we want you to come and build community and hang out with people and get to know someone. Does that sound good? Does that sound fun? Okay, so come be a part of that September 30th. We have one service followed by uh, one service and following that will be a a potluck. Okay. well, let's get into what we're uh, going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to be talking about the spec and the log, the scripture that goes with the speck and the log, which comes out of Matthew chapter seven. So if you guys will stand with me, we'll get right into it. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life. I thank you, Lord, that you want to change people's lives today, God. I pray, Lord, that words that come from me that need, to be re- need not to be remembered would fall to the ground and be forgotten. But everything that you have for us today will be remembered in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At the end of my message today, I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something that I feel is, is, is easy to understand, difficult to do, but so liberating that it will change your life. Simple or easy to understand, difficult to do, but something that will be so liberating that it will, it will, change, it will change your life. Many of you, whenever you read that scripture, many of us, when we read that scripture, uh, perhaps maybe somebody's somebody's face popped into your mind. Either maybe you've been subjected to judgment. Anybody? No, don't answer that. 
<laughs> or maybe you've been the, the judge. Maybe, maybe somebody's face popped into your mind uh, this morning when you, when you read that. Um, I used to work for a company called Chick-fil-A. Anybody familiar with Chick-fil-A? Let me talk about food this, this, this morning before lunch. Uh, you could call it Christian chicken. But uh, I, in the late 90s, I was uh, becoming a manager there. And, uh, and I remember the first night that I was there, and I really wanted to make a good impression on my boss. So I went in, and I looked at everything I could find that was wrong, and I tried to fix it. We cleaned everything. It was my first night. I was being evaluated. And I, uh, and I kept the crew there. Typically, the crew at Chick-fil-A, the store would close at 9. We'd stay there until about 9.15, 9.30. Well, I kept them there until 10.30 that night because I wanted to make sure everything was scrubbed, everything was cleaned. I wanted to make sure that everything uh, was where it needed to be and what it needed to be uh, for, for my boss to come down and look at, uh, look at what I was doing as, as a leader. And so... Um, Finally, uh, I let the, the crew go and I was ready to call my boss down and I called him from upstairs and I was proud. I was proud to show what I had worked at. I was proud to show him all the things that I had done. And he kept me there until 2.30 a.m. showing me all of the things that I missed and made me single-handedly clean them. I quit the next day. No, I, uh, <clears throat> and I did it. And it was, in some instances, it was a blessing because I, I saw some things that I had never seen before. But in a lot of ways, it was not a blessing because 20 years later, I still have to be extremely intentional and in walking into places and seeing things without scrutinizing and criticizing and seeing everything that's bad about it. Because I've trained my mind to look for the imperfections so that I can fix it. Isn't it interesting that the culture has done that to our minds about people? The culture has done that to our minds about people. We tend to get into these communities of people and instead of being able to see all of the wonderful value or beauty that's being brought to the table by these people, we tend to look at them through a lens and see the small things about their life that aren't perfect. And then furthermore, not only do we see them, we feel some type of authority to go into their life and let them know, do you know that that's there? How many have ever had something in your eye? I've had things in my eye before, and I'm going to tell you something. Rarely do I have something in my eye and I don't know it's there. Usually when I have something in my eye, I'm rubbing it. I'm trying to get it out. I feel the pain. I'm tearing up. I know it's there. Does anybody need one more person to point out something that's going wrong in your life? Anybody? <laughs> but it's what our culture has conditioned us to do. Now, both believers and non-believers have uh, a core, I guess, a core tub of, of scriptures, if you will, that we tend to pull out from time to time that a lot of people know. And I believe that this is one of those scriptures that people know, and it's used a lot. And a lot of times it's used out of context. Because when people say, do not judge, do not judge, you're not supposed to judge me. You know, the Bible says not to judge. A lot of times what they're saying is, don't judge me because I want to live the way I want to live. Don't judge me because I want to do what I want to do. Don't judge me because I want to, I, and, and who are you to judge, matter of fact, because do you know what's going on in your life? 
because of the things that we hold on to, those things that we feel that are chained to us, the things that we, that we drag around with us, we seem to think that, that those things uh, really are, are sometimes life-giving. We seem to think that those things that we need and that we want and that we, we grapple with and we, we want to hold on to, even though the Scripture tells us that we've been set free from all of that stuff. But man, we will protect that thing so much by throwing somebody else's sin in their face. But this scripture, I believe, has a lot to say to us because it's just as much as it talks about us not judging, it also gives us the ability and the freedom to evaluate what's going on in our own lives. So this morning... Um, this morning, uh, uh, as we talk about this, uh, I, rem- I was reminded this uh, last night, actually, of a situation. My, my family and I just got off a of vacation, and uh, my wife, uh, Sherry, uh, we, were, we were at the place that we were vacationing, and I took my oldest two to the room, and Sherry's task was to get some, some food for us. And so Sherry, we had just come out of the, the swimming area. So Sherry has a bathing suit on and she's got uh, our, our toddler, Ruby, with her. And, uh, and so they dish out this food and it's like massive, massive cheeseburgers with like buckets of fries on the plate. And they serve this up on like different plates, right? Well, Sherry's real smart. She's like, I've got two hands. My toddler needs one of them. So I can't carry three plates. So I'm going to put the three burgers on one plate. I'm going to pile all the fries on them and carry it like this and walk her daughter, which makes sense. Yes. So she's walking throughout the, the area and gets to the room. And she's, and she said, Kevin, I just walked down this massive long hallway with this massive plate of food and this toddler. And people were looking at me with the most crazy looks you can imagine. And she said, I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what they were thinking in their mind. Were they jealous because she's so hot? Probably. (laughs) You know, were they, you know, were they thinking, goodness, woman, give somebody else some food? What were they thinking? What were they? I don't know what they were thinking. They probably, I'm glad they didn't say it because I would have gotten in trouble, you know, I, I, you know, but, but whatever they were saying, you know, the look cer- certainly, certainly lent themselves to think, man, they were certainly thinking something, but isn't that what we do? Here's the thing. They weren't equipped with all the information. Don't we rush to judgment without all the facts and all the information? And we make these judgment calls in our minds and in our hearts. And we, we render these judgments on people as we're walking in life. And we don't know the first thing, lest we be in relationship with them. There are three things I want us to take away from this, from this parable today. And I love, you know, we've been doing parables this year. And I love that Pastor Ronnie has been taking us also on a journey of discipleship. And this fits right into the core of discipleship where we're going today. This parable is not for them. It is for you. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've been convicted before. I'll go into scripture and I'll start reading this and I'll have a, a picture and a name that will pass and pop in my head. I said, Lord, you need to teach them about that. Oh, Lord, you, Lord, I hope you reveal that to them. And what that does is it builds a wall for us to receive anything for, that the Holy Spirit has for us. And so this morning, as we're looking at this parable, though, when you read it, you may have thought of somebody in your mind. I want you to tear that wall down and I want you to be willing to receive that God has something for you in this parable today. Can we do that? 
So this parable is not for them, it is for you. Number two, we need to understand that everyone has a speck. Some of us have multiple specks. I got a big old plank, right? Everyone has specks. Is there anyone here who has arrived? Is there anyone here that had looked in the mirror this morning and said, I am Jesus today. I've got it together. Anybody? Okay. I didn't think so. I didn't wake up that way either. I've got a long way to go. And so everyone here has specks in, in their lives. And, and, you know, this is another topic for another time. But boy, if we would get transparent with our specks, man, we'd have so much freedom happen in our lives. But we hold on to them and we guard them so much because we think we're the only one. And that's such a trick of the enemy. But we all have specks. A lot of us have the same specks. And we got them. That doesn't make them good. It doesn't mean that we want them. It doesn't mean that they're right. But we have them. We need to acknowledge that they're there. We have them. We live in a broken world. Everyone has, has specs. And for the person that would come in, I have somebody who texts me. This is a true story. Texts me on a regular basis to tell me how good they are. They've been good and they're going to reach the third level of heaven and play golf with Moses is what they're telling me, okay? But that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, just like Will was saying earlier, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We all have things in our life because we're broken. And to say that we don't is a deception to ourselves. And then finally, what I want us to really focus on is that this parable does not negate your responsibility to hear and receive truth. It does not negate your responsibility to hear and receive truth. I want to spend a little bit of time here on, on truth because it's very, it's very important that we understand the clear distinction between judgment and truth. Because there is. There is a distinction between judgment and truth. And this is what it is. Judgment speaks to what you did. Truth speaks to who you are. Judgment speaks to what you did. Truth speaks to who you are. And guys, based on this right here, we need far less judgment in our life and a lot more truth. And a lot more truth. Because here's the thing. The more we know about ourselves, the more you know who you are, the less it matters what you did. Here's the crazy thing. Where do we find truth? Where, where's the ultimate place to find truth? As believers, we believe it's right here in this book. And here's the craziest thing at all, the plot line to this story. The whole foundation of this story is God creating a situation where you are redeemed from what you did so that you can read this and understand who you are. Are you with me? That's the whole crux of what this is right here. It's from Genesis to Revelation. It's God unfolding a story to say, listen, you are broken. You are sinful. You are guilty. Let me show you how to get out of that so you can lay what you did aside and you can understand more of who you are. The more truth we can receive about who we are, the less we have to even worry about what we've done. I, and I'll even go a step further. The more truth that we can receive about who we are, the less we want to do those things. 
Because the more I understand who I am, the more Christ-like I want to become. And my motivation, my motivation, my gratitude to understanding what he did and the price he paid for all this stuff motivates me, to challenges me to walk upright because I understand that I don't belong into the degrading patterns of my sin. I belong up here to the elevated statutes and, and places that he places me and the things he says about me. Yes? And so we receive truth really from this word. And I, you know, I know that this may, this may discourage some of you, but I'm going to tell you, Pastor Ronnie, Pastor Barbie, nobody that speaks from this platform has any more, um, more access to this than you have. You have just as much access to this as anybody else that's presenting from up here. Do you understand that? So that means that the truth of who you are, while it can be presented in this form, you actually can know on a day-to-day -day basis if you'll just crack this book open and make it a daily part of your walk. There's so much in here. It's rich and it's alive. So this is the ultimate place we receive truth. But sometimes God does put people in our lives to speak truth. He does that. He's done that in my life. And I can tell you that there are about five or six people that I can hear and receive truth from. And here's the reason why. It's because I'm in relationship with them. I'm in relationship with him. This is huge. This is huge. And this right here is the deciding factor. Listen to me. This should be the deciding factor on whether or not you should be receiving truth from a person that comes to you and says, I've got something to speak into your life. Relationship is is, is, is key. It's foundational. The whole crux of this, when we talked about this story, why did Jesus come and why did he die on a cross and why did he forgive us for our sins? It wasn't so that we could have fire insurance and go spend eternity for him. That wasn't the only reason. It was because of this. He wants to have a relationship with us. We can't have a relationship with him when we, are, when we were in our sinful state. So he came and redeemed that so that we can be in right standing with him. And so he desires a relationship with us. Shouldn't we then have relationships with one another? And some of those relationships are key. Places, people that God has placed in our lives to speak into our lives. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. There have been people who have been wounded and broken because someone came up to them and spoke a truth that they had no business speaking. There have been people who have left because somebody came up and they thought it was their place to speak a truth that was not their business or place to speak. If you have something that you feel like the Lord, the Holy Spirit has said to you to say to something, I, someone, I beg you to ask yourself, do I have a relationship with this person? And if the answer to that question is no, I beg you to hold on to that word and go and develop a relationship with them and see if that word changes. I don't know that the, the, it may be different for Pastor Ronnie and, 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 and Pastor Barbie, but for me, I have never, I, I have never received a word from the Lord I was supposed to give to someone that I needed to do right that instant. Hasn't ever happened. Because do you know that you can actually have a word for someone and it be in the wrong packaging? It can be in the absolute wrong packaging and it misses the whole point. 
Relationship is key. It is so key because it is how the enemy creeps into a body, into a community of believers and causes division. When we don't use the foundation of relationship as a basis to speak truth into one another's life, you might have some, you might actually see something or have something that is true for that person and it's not your business or your place to say it. You know what you ought to do? You ought to pray. You ought to give it to the Lord. Because you can't change anyone anyway. Only the Holy Spirit can. So I wanted to give us some questions, just some, some instruction on if you're someone on the receiving end of truth, how do I decipher whether or not I should be receiving from this person? Let's look at this. Number one, is it evident that this person is walking with the Lord? If they're not walking with the Lord, I don't think they have squat to tell you. They might think they do, but is it evident? Is there fruit in their lives? The people who speak into my life, it's very evident they're walking with the Lord. Are they perfect? No. Do they make mistakes? No. Yes. <laughs> they make mistakes. Yes, yeah, sure. But man, it's evident that they walk with the Lord. Number two, how well does this person know me? How well do they know you? If they're coming at you with some type of truth and they don't know anything about you, I usually, I've had so many people come up to me and give me words that were not for me. And I just, I just took it. I said, thank you so much. And I follow it. There's nothing I can do with that. Even, even words that are for me, I follow. I say, Holy Spirit, take that. If it's for me, let it become apparent. But just because, I mean, I'm treading some water here, but just because we're in the context of the church doesn't mean that everything everybody has to say to you is what you need to hear and receive. We're a bunch of broken people, okay? There are some people God's placed in your life that you need to receive truth from. But you need to filter through these questions. Do you have a relationship? Do they know who you are? Does it make sense for me to receive truth from this person? It amazes me how much information and how much we will change our lives for Dr. Phil, but we won't listen to the person who's been walking with us for years. You'll hear one thing from some stranger that doesn't know you and you'll base your entire life around it and somebody that knows you forever will be looking at you like, have you lost your mind? Does it make sense? And is this person more concerned about what you did or who you are? If the conversation is 90% about what you did and 10% what you, uh, who you are, it's probably not for you. I know that sometimes what we did is a springboard for a conversation that has everything to do with truth. But man, that truth needs to be laden with who you are. It needs to be a reminder of why you don't want to go in those patterns. It needs to be a reminder of who God says you are. What this truth says, needs to line up, it needs to line up with his word. So these are just some questions, probably not the only questions, but four good questions that you could ask if you're on the receiving end of truth, because guys, I don't want you to get hurt. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? I think that Jesus modeled the scripture from today in a really wonderful way in the book of John chapter eight with this story about an adulterous woman. So let me read this story to you, if you mind. 
Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want you to understand that when we talk about we shouldn't judge, it doesn't mean that people, quote unquote, get away with their, their sin or their actions. There are certainly consequences. The difference is, is that we're not the ones that are supposed to render those consequences. He does it. He's the one that does change. He's the one that renders the consequence. And so what happens is, is we're here faced with somebody who's done something wrong or somebody who somehow we feel like deserves to be judged or condemned or put down or whatever. And we take it upon ourselves like the authority to speak that out to them and to say that to them. And Jesus basically looked at this crowd and said, look, you need to deal with the plank that's in your eye before you deal with the speck that's in hers. And then they all walked away. Jesus didn't look at her and say, hey, continue to be adulterous. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, there's no, there's no consequence for what you're doing. He didn't say that. He addressed the sin in one sentence. He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, go. How much compassion she must have felt in that moment from him. How much loving kindness she must have felt. Jesus' tactic there with her was to not allow her to be stoned, but to change and revolutionize the way she saw herself by what he said to her. What would it be like if that's how our attitude was? I did a, an object lesson with the youth group a couple weeks ago where I took a bag of sugar and they didn't know this, but before the service, I'd emptied out all of the sugar. Right, Sam? And I filled the bag of sugar up with salt, completely up with salt. And I told a story about how my brother and I, we used to make uh, Kool-Aid uh, when we were little because we wanted to make some money. My mom, we were, my mom was single mom, raising kids. We didn't have money. We wanted to go to the dollar, dollar store and buy some toys and we didn't have it. So we just thought we'd get some pictures out there and, and make some Kool-Aid. It's amazing how much trust people have with kids on the side of the road. Because I'm telling you, our hands and fingers were all up in that Kool-Aid as we were stirring. But if you're like me, I liked my Kool-Aid with a lot of sugar. I mean, I, I liked lots of sugar in Kool-Aid, as kids do, lots of sugar. Um, and and that's, the, that's the most important ingredient. So I was up there with them and we were talking about the most ingredient and I was just dumping heats of salt into this thing as I was making Kool-Aid. And then we had a chugging contest <laughs> to which Sam really enjoyed. Was that nasty, Sam? It was, wasn't it? 
Here's the thing. We can wear the packaging. We can look the part. But man, I hate that as Christians, sometimes all we do is dish out salty water, salty flavored water. What if we started giving people the sweetness of Jesus? Instead of just looking at what the substance actually was, the sweetness of Jesus. There are actually people who believe that our job here in, in church is to come out and call out everybody's wrong. Really, I'm, I'm being serious. There are people that actually think that the, the purpose of gathering here is to say, oh, let me look at, sir, can I, just, can I see what you, let me, can you, ma'am, could you open up? Let me see, oh, that, do you know that's wrong? Do you know you messed up this week? Get it together. I don't believe that at all. I believe that this platform is used to speak truth. Whether you receive it or not, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. Whether your life changes, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. But man, real change in my life, it may have started, the seed may have been dropped from the platform up here, but man, it happened in my time with him one-on-one. In that small group of community of people that I was in relationship with. What about the sweetness of Jesus? Guys, do you want, here, 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 we, we often are looking for a tool. Okay, I can't cast a stone. What, what am I supposed to do then? They are clearly wrong. They're clearly making mistakes. They clearly need to know. Here's your tool. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast or it is not proud. Does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Hey, did you know it's not easily angered? It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Somebody that's in my life that I absolutely just, I feel like she's got this down pack is Arwen Jones. Well, I'll be in a, I've been in conversations where she's been in, involved in, that con, in the conversation and somebody will speak something negative, constructive, quote unquote, judgmental about somebody. And she will turn that conversation around and say, you know, I don't really believe that about that person because it's not who they are. Man, that's somebody I want to be around. That's somebody I want to be on my team. Somebody can see me for who I am, not what I've done. This is, this is what we have to do. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I, I don't know if this is weird, but I was, I, was, I was trying to evaluate myself on how loving I was. And so I went to scripture because that's where we're supposed to go in a course. I mean, when you put in, you know, love, you're going to go to the, the love chapter. So I opened the book and I read, love is patient, game over. I think if you've met the mark here, if you're patient and kind and all of these things and you met the mark, then I think you should have your way at judging. But I don't know that anybody here has really attained this yet. I don't know that we're here quite, quite yet. And here's the thing. We learn in scripture that God is love. So these are the attributes of God. So if you replace love with God, God is patient. I needed God to be patient in my life. I need him to continue to be patient in my life. If he's patient, it doesn't make sense to me that my theology would be that he would have a magnifying glass and be ready to spite me every time I do something wrong because he's patient with me. Can he do that? Sure, he's God. But that's not what my Bible says. God is patient. He's kind. Boy, does this world need some kind Christians. 
I know that this is hard. Remember when I said earlier, I'm going to ask you to do something that's easy to understand. I think we can get our mind around a little bit this love thing, but boy, it's difficult to do because we're so conditioned to cast a stone. But what we need to understand is that love changes everything. Love changes absolutely everything. So what does the adulterous woman look like in in your life? Maybe she has a shirt on of gossip and slander against you. Maybe it's somebody who's struggling with some type of addiction. Maybe it's a thief. Maybe it's somebody who's lied to you before. What kind of shirt is the adulterous woman wearing and how are you responding? Because if you want to see people change and you want to see people come to the Lord, this is it. Love will change it every single time. Now I want to tell you why I think that this is so important for today. How many parents we have in the room? Anybody parents? These are my beautiful, beautiful children. I'm telling you, becoming a parent changes, teaches you some things and changes some things in your life. My kids are not perfect, though I wish I want to believe they are. They are beautiful. They are wonderful. But there's probably, worship team, you can come out. There's probably going to be a time in my life or two or 500 that they're going to come to me and they're going to say, Daddy, I did X. Daddy, this is what I'm involved with. Daddy, I messed up here. And with this generation coming up, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the generation coming up is really evaluating whether or not they want this Jesus or they want the world. And the Jesus that's being presented to a lot of them is not authentic, it's not genuine, and it certainly is not love. Would you all grab your stones? And I'd like you to hold them up in the air, please. If you would just look around the room. The unfortunate picture of the church today is this. The unfortunate, the unfortunate picture of what to be a Christian, to be a believer is this. And it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. And when my babies mess up, I'm going to tell you something. No matter what they've done, I'm still going to see them as my kids. I'm sorry. I'm going to see them. I don't care what, I don't care what it is. They're my babies. They're my kids. And guess what? You're God's kids. And he's going to see you for who you are, not what you've done. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't look at me like this, but he looks at me like this. And he says, come here, my baby. Come here, my child. my babies get to an age where they have made mistakes and they have messed up. Maybe they don't believe. Maybe they're mixed up in some sin. I hope that when they come into this place that they don't encounter this. 
but they encounter the love of Jesus. So I need to be partnered and rallied around people that can drop their stones. And that can embrace. There have been people that have left this place because of this. And you can say, oh, well, that was just their perception. Well, I choose to believe that we needed to love more. We needed to love more. I don't know that there's there's an endless, it's a bottomless thing, love. You can't fill it up enough. You can't love enough. And so I told you at the beginning of this message, I was going to ask you to do something for this person. And this could be anybody with anything. I would like us to make a commitment. With those who are going to serve the elements, come on down. I would like us to make a commitment today. I'd like us to make a commitment that says, today, starting right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to walk out of this place and I'm going to make a commitment to use the tool of love in my arsenal to combat the things that are happening around me. I'm going to use the tool of love. That's what I'm going to pull. That's going to be my first go-to. Whenever I see somebody doing something wrong, whenever I have a judgmental thought, I'm going to go right into my belt and I'm going to love my exercise, patience, kindness, and all the rest of that long list. That's where I'm going to go because that's, where, that's what's going to change them. And so I said that it's simple. I think that's easy for us to understand. We understand what I'm saying, but boy, it's difficult to do because it's going to be, it's going to be you changing some things, changing some behavior. But if you will do it, it will liberate you and it will change your life. And imagine if we all did it, we'd blow the walls off of this place because people would be encountering the Lord left and right, right here in Smyrna. So this morning, as you come and you take the elements, the very crux, the very, the very, the very cornerstone of why we have the authority to administer love, after you take that, If you're willing to make that commitment and you're serious about it, I'd like you to come and drop your stone here at the altar and walk away, knowing that you've been equipped and empowered to love people. Let's worship.